Hey there, this is Coach Tim, and I wanted to kind of give a preface to this talk with Coach Bobby. Um, the reason is, first of all, I'm doing editing I normally don't do because we got cut off midstream, and I had to uh, circle back with, with Bob, uh, who is, is pretty busy, and he, he teaches... Uh, through his college, uh, he runs a course, he runs his normal clinics, he runs also a professional women's football team, he's gone every weekend to a, to a game. But what I wanted to do was dig in to uh, his head, okay, and that's something that in this broadcast and in future broadcasts that I'm going to attempt to do more and more and more. Um, I have some training in NLP modeling, uh, and I, I'm fascinated by what's the difference that makes the difference. And what's interesting, uh, and look at this yourself out in the real world, people who do things very, very well often are... And I'm not saying this about Bobby, by the way. I'm just saying, generally speaking, um, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, people generally don't know why they do what they do well. They don't know why. And a lot of times they do things well in one context, and in others they're horrible, right? So, and again, I'm not saying this about Bobby. I'm saying this as the focus as I go forward in my broadcasts. One of the things that are going to be interesting to me is finding out these answers. And, and I kind of uh, delved into this with Bob, and you'll, you'll see that. Um, the... Uh, the other thing is that uh, he really, really, as, as a football coach, if you think of tackling, so little of us give any time to tackling. Okay? He gives two hours. And in my NLP training, there's a thing called, um, there's a thing called process. And there's a thing called chunking. And there's a thing called, well, process. Let's call it that. So what's a process? Well, in football, you're, you probably know the word as progressions. Step one, step two, step three, step four, check. And, and in the old days, progressions was a progression of uh, little minute details before you make a tackle, before you hit the sh the, the sled. Um, today, it's typically, you hear it mostly in, you know, check this receiver, check to that, you know, coverage to that receiver, to that receiver, to that receiver. And, and so it's, it's really not a step one, step two, step three, a process. Um, if you look at any of, of Bob's clinics or go to one, You'll see it's nothing but two hours of tackling that are basically 
steps and a process to get to where you can actually tackle. Um, I think he also talks about uh, the way he visualizes. And, and uh, I found that fascinating where he'll jump out. He jumps out of his body and associates. He associates uh, and then dissociates. He's, it's almost like he's watching a, a Madden football game before he makes a tackle. I thought that that was freaking amazing. Um, and also, by the way, I would think a way to delete fear uh, from the contact or of, of, the, uh, of the tackle because he dissociates from that. Anyway, I get into everything from charisma and coaching and leadership and then, you know, we get into the, what he's been, uh, he's doing now to uh, further the cause of safe tackling. So I hope you enjoy this. Hey there, this is Coach Tim, Spider Cave Studios, Old Torrance, California, welcoming for the second time. I think uh, Bobby is the first person to be on the, uh, the podcast uh, a second time. And uh, he is Bobby Hosea of Helmet Free Tackle Safety and Performance Coaches Clinics, uh, the HoseaMethod.com. And I want to bring him in today because he has some great news, uh, great announcement uh, on something that's never been done before. And uh, so I wanted to start off by saying the Hosea method reduces the incident of self-directed helmet-first impact by 43%, reducing the likelihood of concussion and other related head, neck, and spinal cord injury in the game of football. That's, that's Journal of Coaching Education 2012 from a clinical study that maybe Bobby can, can tell us a little bit about. But uh, I just wanted to uh, start from there, Bobby. I wanted to welcome you on. Guys, this is uh, Coach Bobby Hosea. Uh, thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, you, you've been part of my, my coaching story for a long, long time. And I, I, I like to tell the story of uh, how we first met. And how we first met, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Well, how we first met was uh, I got out of college, and I was waiting to get my real estate license, and I got in on some uh, some filming at uh, uh, for the the HBO show uh, First and Ten. I was one of the the uh, football player extras. Uh, it was a glorified extra. You got to. You got to play football and get beat up for just a little bit more money than than minimum wage, like the like the extras. And then um, and you were on that, and uh, and then also where I was going to say where we actually met was my buddy Steve and I uh, were at El Camino uh, JC, where I actually played ball way back a million years ago, and we were filming. I think it was the movie of the week. I may be you know the head's fuzzy at this point, but uh, so many years later, but Mac Davis, I think, was in it, and yeah. uh, you remember that? Okay. Yeah, so it was kind of it was like a detective movie or some kind of something. Uh, something yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, and I grew up loving Mac Davis, so that was a kick. And then we start, and, and we started talking with you, and you're just your normal, affable, lovable self, and you, you, you don't care who it is that you're talking to. So we were like, "Hey, can you make yourself cry?" <laughs> and and you just start talking, and as you're talking, explaining how you can make yourself cry, you start crying. And we were like, it was like, you know, you know, we were very easily amused at our mushy, what, 22 years old uh, of age or whatever. But uh, that was uh, that was very impressive. <laughs> I'll never forget <laughs> that. And and then uh, jump years later, uh, we're at uh, unfortunately our our mutual friend's uh, funeral. Uh, Randy Simmons, uh, SWAT officer, yeah. uh, struck down yeah. and. And I didn't know at the time that, you know, you, you were connected with him. I had coached with him in youth football at El Segundo. And, um, and our mutual friend, Dean, who was the, my coach and the, the head, uh, the president of the league at the time, he goes, hey, you might know this guy. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, hey, this is Bobby Hosea. And then, like, I have one of those, like, brain things where it takes a couple <laughs> seconds for the synapses to connect. And I'm like, Oh my God! I know you. <laughs> and then, then I, I, I retold the story. I just I just told you told a second ago, and uh, and you know I've been I've been a fan ever since, and especially uh, since that first clinic that I uh, attended through the league, which was at Harbor City, and I saw what your teaching is unlike anything that I've ever seen as a coach and as as a player, and so. Um, I, I got to say, when uh, I knew that we were talking today, uh, I knew I'm talking to one of my heroes and one of the good guys in the game. And, uh, and so with that, a uh, little bit of an introduction, uh, I, I want to really quickly just say you, your background, you're, you, you went from being a pro football player in Canada and, and USFL, UCLA Bruins, San Bernardino um, uh, Valley College, JC, and uh, San Gorgino High School is your background there. And then you got into acting, did some really cool stuff in acting, and then found uh, a spiritual calling. And if I'm overstating this, please tell me so. Can you get? Can you take it from there? Can you explain the the mission? You know what? What, what are you doing, and, and why are you doing it? I appreciate it. Thank you. Woo! I was like thinking to myself, who is he talking about? Oh, me. Okay. All right. I'll accept uh, it. Uh, in two thousand six, I, I guess you know I, I'm a a what I call a WA, a working actor. That's what you want to be. You want to be a working actor. I'm out looking to be a star because I learned early on. I took some great classes with some great teachers and around some great actors who had common sense that you don't make yourself a star. The public makes you a star. The project makes you a star. The part makes you a part a star. You have nothing to do with it. Just show up, you know, and play. You know, do what you're told. And that's what football instilled in both of us. No matter what we do in life, we take what we learn from the football field in with us. And so working hard, you know, focus, applying yourself. And so, but I, I had so much, I was an accidental actor. I was in Security Pacific Bank. This was years ago before Bank of America took them over. And Mark Harmon was coming in and I was leaving. 
and Mark stopped and said, hey, Bobby, have you called those people yet? And see, Mark Harmon at the time was our color commentator on our brewing games, right? And he wore number seven, and at the time I was wearing number seven. And just like everybody else, when someone's wearing your number and you want to hope they're representing you, so you pay closer attention to them, their performance. And I guess I was, I was a starter, so I was doing okay. So anyway, he says, Bobby, have you called those people yet? And I had not, he had never mentioned anything to me about calling anyone. And I said, no, I haven't called them. No. He said, let me give you the number again. I said, okay. And he says, ask for Chris and tell her I told you to call. And I said, okay. And the only reason I called him, Tim, is because I knew I'd see him again. And I did. You know, so I called them and I ended up getting this commercial agency and I had another year to go on my scholarship. So I said, well, ma'am, I can't, act, I can't work, but I will, uh, you know, come back after my senior year over. And I went over my first audition. And I got it. And, and like my third, and so it was kind of meant to be. So I'm an accidental actor. It's not something I didn't Theater was not my life. It just kind of happened. And same thing with football coaching. Uh, when I came from Canadian football league to play in the USFL, I'm coming to San Bernardino wait till you know season starts next year because of the spring league as well so but the valley college read about me in the paper and they called me say hey, bobby you want to come coach the dbs for us i said sure so when i coached the dbs in 82 we led the state in interceptions and we went 11 and 0 man it was great and but I, like i said uh so i didn't coach football again until my son was seven and we did flag for a few years until and then he was 12 and he asked me would I sign him up to play football. And I remember the number I said, 12. He said, can I get him? You sign him? I'm like, oh, man, okay, I'll sign you up, but I'm going to help out because I don't want you to get hurt. And, and I ended up being the head coach because the previous head coach had to step down for his job. And everybody looked at me because I played football at UCLA and, he, you know, got paid to play. So figured out yeah. that's, oh, no, I don't want to be the coach. I just want to look out with my kids, you know. So anyway, before I and you talked about the spiritual side of it. I tell my kids I will go bear hunting with a switch because I don't have no fear of nothing, right? I'm trying to make them not be afraid too, right? But that's not yeah. true. I'm scared of bears, right? I will run, but <laughs> not downhill because they can run downhill. Well, do you run downhill? I think whatever it is about a bear, you're supposed to run whichever way you got to run. I'm running. But one thing scared me more than anything, Tim, was to see one of those little boys on the ground and couldn't get up mm-hmm. because of what mm-hmm. I said. And that emotion still, whew, I just got emotional right now thinking about that. So I just had prayed. I said, Lord, teach me to teach them because I don't want to see one that can't get up because of me. It was just that simple. And all these years later, I just now find out that I taught the kids to tackle exactly like I did. But I didn't have the words because if my words would have you coming to see me later for what I told your kid to do to that other kid. If I was telling them what I was trying to do to that guy when I tackled him. So in other words, right. I didn't have the words to enunciate what was inside of me that made me protect myself and hit in a way that would both shows would impact. I would lock onto you. I'd be able to look you in your face and you'd be able to see that I did it. That was my motivation. It hit you hard. It hit you right. But because our helmets were like really cheap, you know, and you don't hit with your head. That's, you'd be crazy. And, yeah. But I, I didn't have the words to enunciate how to go from A to Z to, you know, in a tackle what I do now, but it came from that prayer in 97. So I was just kind of, you know, uh, led the spirit to go get this little app, make this little apparatus out of PVC pipes. I didn't even know they were PVC. And I called it different rip sticks. Cause that's what you do. You dip and you rip, you stick that dude. If you did it, did it right. And that was the only thing I could tell the kids in 97. And all these years later, your own son benefited from it doing the exact same thing I did in 97. All these years later, now at San Diego Valley College, it's a course where I'll be teaching it, and it'll be a job. 
created a job that's never existed in football in the history of the sport, and that is a concussion preventive specialist that every school district is going to, and every place where they play football is going to require because the risk management department knows that there is a better way to tackle that prevents brain injuries. And they know it now. And that's why California passed the law. I think that's one of the things you alluded to. You say great news. I don't think there's a greater news because I've been chicken little all these years without, first of all, without my course, which will be releasing probably in the next month, but definitely without the law that forces them to do a, a better job of taking care of our kids on the field, our babies, man. It's ridiculous. It's a sin. And that's, the, the, and, and that's just here in California, though. The rest of the country is doing what? Yeah, it's like, if you re- I read you the law, and if you read the law, it says shoulder tackle. Well, they've been teaching the shoulder tackle. So that means what USA football and what everybody else has been teaching that teaches the head to the side tackle, leading with the shoulder, you're, you're in like Flynn. But if that was the case, why would they make the law in the first place if that's what you've always been teaching? So further down in the law, it clarifies that there is a higher standard that you're not provi- pro- prohibited from using in the law. Well, before... If, if uh, say, a governing body says you had to use this only this tackling technique and only this certification, we only recognize that, what would you do? Especially if that governing body gave you money to be a part of their, their organization. You would just do what they told you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, let's, back, let's, let's jump back a little bit, and I want to go back to when – Really, this concussion thing was on everybody's hearts and minds, and moms are worried. Not that they're not always worried, but moms are especially worried that that little Johnny can get hurt and hurt his brain and, and so forth and so on. There's lots of scaring going on. And at that time, tell me if my – I think it was all at the same time of, of the LA-84 uh, – convention that you spoke out with uh, big concussion people like Dr. Uh, Robert Cantu, uh, who, who has a book on, on the subject, and, and others. Uh, can you uh, speak on that? Yeah, it was, it was happening. I don't know. I, you remember the steroid um, thing with baseball with um, Barry Bonds and Seiko, Conseco and all those guys? Yeah. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Well, Baseball didn't do anything about the steroid use because they were knocking the ball out of the park. Fans were, you know, filling the parks up with fans, loving to see it, you know, the competition going on. But the juice, they were juice. And so kids in high school were juicing as well, but they were dying. And baseball didn't do anything about it. And they went to Congress and had to talk about it. And so they got reamed. And then the NFL had to go to Congress around that same time. If you go, if you Google it, Google brain injuries in Congress and NFL have a, you know, whatever. It was in that time frame. Now, at the same time, I had reached out to the NFL in 2007. All this happened to me in 2006. I just kind of walked away from Hollywood. I didn't know I was walking away from Hollywood, but I I really didn't want to do it anymore because I've always been an accidental actor. They just kept calling me back, Tim, and uh, I would just go, and I'd get it. I'm like, I didn't know. I hope... Every time they say, that's a wrap, Bobby, everybody clap for Bobby. Thank you very much. Good job. I'd always get to what I call the post-production blues. Like, am I going to ever get another job? Are they going to figure out? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, 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 I was acting, man. 
Man, I was just, you, know, you, you, you shouldn't be admitting all this. Huh? You, you, you shouldn't be admitting all this. Uh, at, you know, actors, wannabe actors will hear this and, and go, oh, my God, that's that's just messed up. But uh, well, that's great. Because, you know what, I didn't know I had talent because I was a football player, and then you are being a football player. If you can split that damn A-gap and, some, and, and body slam that quarterback before he gets that ball out of his hands, you got talent. Well, that's it. Right. I can cover your butt, and I can take you on your block and knock it out. I can read that tight end blocking down that fullback. Step my way. I'm coming because it's cover two, and I'm going to take that face mask off that fullback and stack that thing up make that back cut back inside. That's talent. I didn't know I could make myself cry and make you cry was talent. See, I didn't know that. I am talented. How do you do that? Let, let, me, let me just, just let me go off of. Let me go off of the uh, this whole football thing for just one second, and I'll, I'll I'm going to say why I think it's important, and, and also why I think you're uh, what you're about to say will will indicate also partly why you're a good football coach, and and that is uh, what did you do to be a good actor? I relied on my football. I remember I used to get real nervous. And I, and I, because of the bigger the wig was in the room that I, like I I met with uh I did 61. I played uh Howard. I played uh I played Elston Howard, the first uh, African-American Yankee for the uh, 61 the movie 61 and Billy Crystal was the director, not the director, he was producer and all that. And so I was meeting with Billy Crystal, you know. You know, Billy Crystal, what, was it laughing or was it, what was it? Something that Billy Crystal was in, you know. And, and so. That's an L.A. And, and not only just Billy Crystal, but over the years. But you would kind of have a tendency when you're meeting with them directly, it's just you and them, and they want to see if you're the person for this part. And they're going to sit with you and talk with you and just chew the fat with you, see if I can live with this guy for six months. I don't know. And so to keep from getting kind of tense or, or nervous or whatever, I see I can body slam everybody in this room. There's nobody that can block me. There's nobody. I can smash everyone. So I'm going to relax. Oh, so, my gosh. You know, that's kind of, they're, no, they're not 250. It's not going to take a lot of me to put them down. So I used football because that was my persona. I just felt that way when I was on the field. You, you had to be at least 250 to have a chance, for real. Right, right. That's how I felt. I still so you feel brought like that, that confidence? Month. You brought that game day confidence into the actor studio. Yeah, you have to. Uh, so you have let me to because that's, that's the only thing that's real. Acting is real, but you don't know that early on. You think you're acting. Well, you're you're being someone else, but you're being real in that someone else's circumstance. Right. And it's hard right. well, to find that, that because people can't get out of their like, own way. They're embarrassed. Well, and why with your crying thing, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, a real tear, right? I know, right? Okay, here's where I wanted you to go, because uh, I believe that at least every good and professional uh, head coach that I've known that's good, at whatever level, exudes uh, a sense of charisma, and certainly you're not lacking any. Um, So... Did you develop that? Did you bring that? Uh, was it just, you know, another one of the God's gifts and you were born with it? 
or did 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 you have a little of it and then develop it out? I mean, I know with acting classes and stuff, they they get into all these kinds of emoting kind of things. Uh, is that something that uh, you, was even a word that you thought of? You know, was in your uh, dictionary at that point. When I was a little kid, man, I, and I would watch television. It's funny, uh, and I would watch television. I always thought I could do anything I saw, but I never thought I'd ever have an opportunity for that. And so, as a person, I've always been a really sweet person inside. And but the world, like just like you, the world starts shaping you into who you become. And you know, when you find out that you're African American, and that means something different than, and then when you find out, you know, I'm with my sister from kindergarten all the way to the third grade uh, because even though we're 11 months and 10 days apart, back in those days, if you didn't TT on yourself, you could go to kindergarten. And so neither one of us could te- would TT on ourselves. So I went to kindergarten at three and she went to kindergarten at four and we stayed there for two years. And then I went to first and second and third grade, but after third grade, I couldn't read. And so she went to fourth grade and I went to third grade, stayed back. And so from that point on, I had a inferiority complex deep inside but even though i knew i was a beautiful person i felt that i lacked something so i would overcompensate for a lot of stuff to get people to accept me to like me because i felt inferior and and it stayed with me for the longest time so i have uh i'm very gregarious naturally but sometimes early on as i did my like regression to who i am and why i'm the way i am and different things like that (laughs) it's really funny to do that but it's true and so, and, but now, because I love so much that I have such a difficult thing that causes people to almost despise me, it bothers me that people aren't listening to me, but I have the personality that won't quit because I'm a bully hunter. Because I think of coaches as really bullies who don't really, they're not really worthy of their position, however they got it, and they abuse it. And I don't like most coaches, a lot of them, because they're not really prepared and not really teaching and they're not willing to learn. And, and so, but my personality, I'm, I'm really a sheepdog. And I ask people a lot of times, I say, what, would you, what are you, a sheepdog or a timber wolf? What would you rather be? I would be a timber wolf. I go, okay, why does a sheepdog hang out with sheep? Oh, to protect the sheep. No, that's, that's why the shepherd has a sheepdog. Why does the sheep dog stay? It's not because he likes sheep. It's because he likes fighting wolves. And wolves are bullies <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. So that's why I'm involved in, especially with youth football, because their coaches are, are unprepared, ill-prepared, don't want to be prepared, ain't looking to be prepared, be as lazy as hell, but yet they speak all these other things about working hard, getting better, being committed and all that, and they're a bunch of hypocrites and liars. Because this is what I've done. I've created a, an, an industry that's never existed before, concussion prevention, football, that I'm going to I'm gonna make it exclusive to women. The women on my team, the women in my league, I'm going to make it exclusive to them. Because the men ain't trying to get better. They don't give a damn. So I don't want to waste my time with guys. I'm going to – this is – because, see, look, $6.89 billion is given to lawyers and, and doctors for – medical uh, and legal and liability costs each year for the damage that coaches are doing to children under 15, just by mandating and forcing coaches to get better at what they do, those injuries will dissipate. The ones that are done through negligence will go away. So you won't have Johnny's in a lawsuit for being paralyzed. He's not going to tackle with his head down. He's not going to bite the ball. He's not going to put eyes through the thighs. He's going to dip and rip. You're going to see they snot. 
<laughs> I want to see your earwax. I'm a different rip. So they're not going to have those negative because the coaches, what? They can readily identify, eliminate, replace the physical mechanisms, tackling terminology, tackling drills, tackling techniques, and tackling drills that lead directly to crown first impact or helmet exposure contact while in the act of making a full form tackle or angle tackle during live football competition. Bam! If you can't say yeah. that as a coach, then why are you on the field? And if your coaches can't say that, then why are you allowing them to coach your children? If your child can't say that for themselves, then they're not prepared. They need to be able to defend themselves against what they're being taught because what they're being taught is dangerous. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Illogic is so stupid. Okay, I wear earmuffs because I'm getting, I'm getting uh, uh, cauliflower ears. So I put the earmuffs on, I'm still tackle the same way. Well, I'm splitting my head open by tackling the same way. So let me put a donut on top of my head so I don't split my head open anymore. But I can't see the brain damage back then, but I can see the brain damage now. So why are we still tackling the same way and having a damn conversation about it? It doesn't make any sense. If you can see the brain damage from doing it that way, why you continue to do it that way and deny that it's not? That it's re- That's what happened to brain damage. The same 32 owners who got everybody else to believe that it doesn't exist, they got people to sign a contract and say, well, you can't claim it anymore, so that, therefore it goes away. It goes away? No, it ain't gone away. So what's going to happen? It's going to die. So you, you're... You're a very, uh, in a good way, noisy proponent of your mission. How do we change things? Because if I'm the devil's advocate, I'm going to say, well, uh, okay, yeah, you say your way's better at tackling, but I like a little bit of this. I learned a little bit of 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 that from this uh, this eagle type of tackling or hawk or something. And I learned a little bit of this from my old coach back in the day, and he was pretty good. He was a good football player in, in college. And, and, and I like what you do on the one thing. Um, uh, how do you make a compelling statement that makes it so I understand that I'm full of crap and that I need to look and, and treat something like this with a little bit more scrutiny and and an appreciation of of shall i say science and if you can go into what i mean by that uh this is uh, coach tim again and i am wanting to just give a quick little re-intro we had got cut off bobby and i uh in the last conversation the uh, recording stopped and we're going to continue it right here. So if there's a little bit of a odd or awkward continuation, it's true. We, this is a couple weeks away from when we last uh, actually talked. But I want to get right back to it. And, and Bobby, there's, there's some important things that have happened in the past year. And I think you're the go-to methodology of tackling because you have the, uh, the, the history, you have the players, you have the, the science, quite frankly. You have clinical trials um, that prove that, that your system works. And now we have a law in California that I think is going to surprise a lot of people and maybe perhaps even surprise a lot of leagues that they're not able to get fields. Can you kind of go into that? Yes. Um, 
It's, it's about liability, uh, Tim. Um, and it's not really anything to really do with football, but it's because of football the liability exists. And because of the way the football has particularly been taught and since it's been taught, you know, since the 1800s, there's a certain tackling technique in particular with the single shoulder that always placed the body and the head and hips on the same level. Yeah. And as a result of that, there's been the head involvement in the collision, whether you're blocking, tackling, or even running the ball. So it was taught that way. And, and it's still taught that way. But it's so ironic that the very first, head injury was visible, uh, the one that they tried to, 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 to prevent, and that was the cauliflower ear. They wanted to prevent that from happening, so they created a thing they called the head harness. And the guy actually went to the cobbler, they called him back in those, I guess that was the, um, the blacksmith, where they had the leather and said, always make straps for the horses and whatnot. But they created this, basically is what the Greco-Romans wore to cover their ears, wrestlers and wrestlers of today, wrestled in that style in high school and college um and it covered the ears and that was a very and that was visible and it was a result of a technique in the way you block you tackle and you ran into the defender and then as a result and, and it's simultaneously but not as often they get cracked skulls as well and i talked about that in the last segment and just just the idiot it's just it's, it's not I, it's just not logical. It's illogical to think, okay, now, okay, yeah, I put this over my head, but I don't see the cracks anymore, so it's resolved. But we continue to, to tackle in the same way, a block and run over people the same way. We just can't see what it's doing beyond that. But the doctors of the day, in fact, the gentleman who had the harness made, the head harness made, his own doctor said, well, this will protect him from the cracked skulls, but, you know, or instant insanity. So even though without the lack of brain imaging, they knew by the behavior of the person that when they strapped it on to go play the game, after the game and the result of that injury, that person had changed for the rest of their life. And it's because of the brain injury, but they can't see it. But yet here we are in 2021 and we're still tackling in the same manner and teaching it the same manner, but we're calling it different names. And the harm is, like I said, each year, more than four, there's more than 448,000 reported football-related injuries to children under the age of 15, totaling more than 6.89 billion in medical liable, liability and legal costs. And so it's time to change, and so the law forces that change, I think. So how does, how does, how does the law manifest into future games? Like, what's the next, the next thing? Because this fall, uh, we had some football this past spring, kind of an abbreviated season on, on some levels. But, like, you know, for you guys, uh, the junior college, most of the state didn't play, as far as I know. Uh, but this fall is, is where we get it back to quote-unquote normal. But we have this law. What's that look like for the youth leagues? What's it look like for everybody else? Well, it sets a standard that didn't exist before, although people thought it existed before, and they thought it continued to be the same. But there's never been a law since football has been, since 1905, when Teddy Roosevelt even established 
the NCAA in 1906, and they created rules that there was never any rules. Uh, so the NCAA was formed to protect players with rules that prevent them from, you know, that would control player behavior on the field behavior across the board. Because there was, you know, whatever you guys did in your backyard in that side of the, you know, the county was different on my side of the county. In my backyard, we we had different rules, and but then there became rules that governed your behavior that prevented catastrophic injuries to people that were avoidable. But that was then. But they did they then they started using technology, sleds, tackle dummies. But they didn't change the way they engaged the sleds. They didn't change the way they engaged that. That's science. See, most people say, "Well, the science is don't get you know, you know, Twilight Zone music playing." No, it's not that. Science is simple. You know, football players are so thought of as dumb, but we're not. But science is a systematic series of steps that are followed in order to reliably predict a specific type of outcome. So the outcome, I, I didn't want in 97. I don't want it now in 2021, coaching my women. And that is I don't want them to initiate contact with the crown of their helmet nor expose their helmet to contact while they make a tackle, a form or angle tackle. And so there are steps that do that. And there are steps that cause your crown to impact, and there are steps to cause your temple to be in position to be impacted. And to not look at those, find out what they are, eliminate them and replace them, then you're not doing your due diligence to make the game as safe as possible. And the rest of it is just talk. And that's some of where the law comes in. It forces you to, to look, to do your due diligence, and to make a decision. And if something happens, that say you decide to stay like you've always been, well, Donovan Hill was paralyzed doing what's always been, and they got to go to a court of law for what's always been. So there's precedence in the court of law. So if you continue to do what's always been, and you're rolling a dice, and you're playing Russian roulette with children, you're going to get popped. And so when you talked about these past football season abbreviated, well, none of it was sanctioned. CIF didn't sanction them, did they? I know Pop wanted in sanction. Those were mom and pop games that they were doing them all over the place with people looking the other way. Then, you know, the COVID issue in certain counties was less concerning about the COVID than other counties or other states. And so people would drive across county lines or across state lines to play football. But it wasn't sanctioned by any governing body. Now, I think you hear this now that we, we had a uh, five-game five season, I think. Uh, and it, it was the league. Uh, a lot of the teams played within their leagues, but uh, so that's interesting. What is what? Is, there's two things personally that I could think of on why this is an, an ex, excruciatingly important topic that. I would think any coach, certainly any parent, should know about as well as the actual player themselves. And and you've talked about and you rely on often. It's like, well, look, we're taking care of our babies. I hear heard you say that a million times. We're protecting their 
their spines, their heads, their their health, their future health. And too often I, I, I overhear or have seen coaches where they kind of roll their eyes and, and just put up with the, the talk and almost an attitude like, well, it's always been this way. You, you kind of just talked about that. But I really think, and maybe I'm just naive and, and Pollyanna, but I, I really believe that the coaching comes from a place of service. And we've talked about this lots over the years, and, and I know that you come from a place of service. Otherwise, uh, you'd still be uh, up there acting away and making all the big bucks but you've chosen this from a place of, of service because you want to make the world better. You want to make these kids better. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to blow smoke up your, up your, your rear, but, I mean, I, this is obvious. I mean, why would somebody do what you do? Why would somebody coach uh, youth football like they do, and it's because they feel like they're they're making a difference. So my okay. my question is: Wouldn't you want have the ability to make the biggest difference that you can? Because if you have one, let's just be logical about this: If you have one injury within a youth league or a high school, that negativity, and I hate to even say it like that because it's not a good enough word for, for that type of injury, but that negativity can, can spread and it can decimate a football program when, in fact, we've, we've quoted this, and I'll let you say it again, on Alonzo Stagg about the success of his team and in the previous, you know, hey, coach, how 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 uh, how do you feel about your kids and their success this year? And uh, anyway, I, I, you tell the story. It's um, <laughs> but it's that he's caring about the kids in their future is the point. He's right, and he's certain. not taking credit for it, it, you know, for the benefit of the, that particular season. But what his contribution is. He's looking down the road. Uh, like my contribution is going to start to show itself twenty years from now. You know, he's really, making a their effort. He's yeah, making a difference in the world. Made, yes. Mm -hmm. But their effort made the season because it's your players that make the season, right? You know, you're going to always coach hard. You're always going to coach, try the best your ability to coach smart, and situations will come. But your players. They're able to make plays and, you know, magical moments come out of this effort and, and they had the ability and all that came together at one time. But it's really, you know, we talked about it last time. It's like you're at the mall and all of a sudden some six, four dude with three kids and one in the oven and he's pushing one in the, in the, in the, in the, in the little in the hamper or whatever. And he, and he sees you and he grabs you and he hugs you and he says, coach, how you been? And it's little Johnny, but Johnny's not, you know, eight years old anymore. He's, He's 27. He's got family. He's a Marine. And he's 6'4", 240, and he's grabbing you, hugging you, showing how much he loves you. But he could be doing the opposite if you were a jerk. 
when he was eight and nine, but that you made a difference in his life. And that's what football coaches can do. Now, what the sport can do, what it did for me, it just made everything possible. It made me feel good about me. And I've always thought I could do anything, but I couldn't read very good after third grade. I, I didn't go to fourth grade with my sister, but we're both, she's 11 months and 10 days older than me. So back in the day, if you didn't pee on yourself, you could go to the, you can go to kindergarten. Yeah. So I was in kindergarten when I was three and she was there when she was four. So we just stayed together until we got to third grade, and then she graduated to the fourth grade, but I stayed behind because I didn't, didn't read. So, But that stuck with me, man. And so I would be in junior high, and, and the special reading room was right by the lunchroom, and it was the last class before lunch. And, man, so I would get let out of that class right by the doggone lunch line, and then everybody would see me come out of this converted janitor closet that they made into a special re- reading room with these little games and stuff. The, the kids, you know, so you felt dumb, you felt inferior, you felt, you know, less than. And so I had this deep, deep, deep self-esteem issue. So in ninth grade, I got a first down on fourth and one. Didn't understand football, don't, don't know if it was a, you know, game winning. We, we kept the clock running so we can run it out now, and we had to get that first. We took a big chance, and we did it. I don't know. I just know everybody was happy and jumping up and down and everything slowed down and people slapped me inside the head and I was feeling real good about me for the first time in a long time, since third grade. And that became my pursuit to feel good again like that all the time. And it was football. And just, just so happens, not only did I have the desire to, and need for that to feel good about me, I had the ability to do it. I was better than everybody. I was on. I didn't know why. I didn't. All of a sudden, shit. I could catch passes. Uh, shucks. I could catch passes like nobody else out there could catch the pass. And I, I discovered it going into my soft, my junior year in spring ball before we moved to Southern California. We at Wheatland, way up in Northern California, and they would they were throwing you know swing patterns and post patterns, and I could run these routes and catch the ball. And I'd never done any of that in my life. It was the first time ever, and the coach got all excited, and the next thing you know, we moved. And we moved down here. You know, we've been here since 72. But, man, uh, so football opened up my – so then I get down here, and I'm brand spanking, and this rough, tough school, San Gregorio High School, they had some issues the year before I got there, race riot and all that kind of stuff, and so they had trouble. But they had some tough, rough-neck kids and a tough football team and a tough coach, and it was a rough – but I came in, man, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, you make it to football by making plays and working hard. And the next thing you know, everybody's your friend. And so then I, then I started excelling. An opportunity came my way to get a scholarship, but I, didn't, I couldn't accept it because I didn't have any grades. Because I didn't really try in school because I didn't think I was capable. I thought I was dumb and stupid. But I had to play football, so I had, so I had to go to junior college. And I didn't want to, but I had to. And my father was in my class, of all things, because anybody can go to junior college. My dad was in my class. Lord have mercy. He had just graduated. Well, no, he just retired from the military, Air Force. And, he, and if my father was not in my class, Tim, I would not have. I probably would have done the same thing in high school. I would have continued. I would have been in the 13th grade at Valley College. But instead, because my dad was doing his homework when I came home from practice, I had to sit down and crack my book, too. And I just from... 
doing it. Yep, just from doing it, I became capable because all I did was apply myself. I didn't know why I couldn't read. I didn't understand. So guess what I found out? I found out why I couldn't read when I got to UCLA and I needed some extra credit for my psych class and they told me to go to the lab and sign up for it to be a guinea pig and I did. And I think I may have told you this story and they strapped these electrodes to my forehead, to my temple, yep. different places and then I had to tap, yeah, I had to tap this, these I had to tap a button every time I saw a certain sequence of lighting and wherever it, it might have appeared. And for whatever reason, they were astonished that when I finished and they were like, mouths were agape. And they said that that was the second highest score ever. And I, and I thought to myself, I really tried. I might have met the first. But I said, well, you know, it was easy. And they said, well, you shouldn't have been. And I go, why not? They said, well, because you're dyslexic. And I go, what's that? <laughs> Just like, and they said, you're, uh, you, you read backwards. I go, yeah, I know that, but what does that mean? <laughs> and I don't remember with their answer because I gave myself a meaning because I just jumped for joy inside that I wasn't dumb and that I wasn't stupid, but that I was brilliant and I was wonderful because when you feel dumb and you feel stupid, you feel less than. You feel like nothing. Right. So the first time I, I started feeling like something, I started feeling good. I start feeling great about me. Well, Here I am, a junior at UCLA. Let me, let me, let me, let me cut, cut you out. Is, is, that, yeah. is that just because Pops was influencing you, or was it something to do with your being in there because of football? No, it was because of football. Everything was because of football. I, I had to get a scholarship to Notre Dame. Nebraska, USC, UCLA, Cal. You know, I had to be Penn State, Michigan, Ohio. I had to be, you know, I had to be at the big school, man. It's just yeah. in order for me to feel good about me. So my drive, I just thank God that I wasn't 5'3 and ran a 4'12", 40, you know, 4'9", you know, four, 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 or 5'4", 40, and just was stubby and, you know. Well, okay, okay. Follow my, my, my talent allowed me to achieve the ambition. Coach, huh? what do you do? Not everybody has is, is been blessed with Bobby Hosea body, right? So what do right. you do with that kid who is stubby, who, who, who uh, you know, and I hate to, to judge anybody. I, that's one of my big things. It's like I'm not going to put your future onto you from my judgment, but I also, as a coach, I have to judge. And so it's a, right, it is – it is yeah. a, uh, you have to make a discernment. Right, right. People so, are afraid of that word, Jared, so you say, I, I'm, I'm giving you my discernment. Discernment. No, I, I, I use that word a lot. I, I love that word. So what yeah. is it that we do that um, to not skip past the, le- the kid that, that God didn't give you know, all the, the body, too. He, he's running, instead of a 4.6, he's running about a 5.6 or 5.9. You know what I mean? That kid. Well, you know, winning is not in the score. It's in the effort. And so that, my, my job as a coach, first and foremost for me, is like my women, we're 0-4. 
and I'm as happy as two ticks, right, in the back of a, a, a hound dog's ear because we haven't gotten any, any, any sprained necks, no concussions, no, no dislocations from tackling incorrectly. The score will come around when I get enough veteran girls that really know what they're doing. They'll grow into it. They'll learn what toughness is, you know, all that. And our coaches will, you know, will get better as, we, you know, we are. So we understand, you know. But what, what winning is to me is that we come off the field the same way we walked on the field. Nothing wrong with our neck. We're just dirty, sweaty, tired, and sore. And that's where everybody starts. You've got to start there first because the winning will come from that. And so my number one thing, whether you have that, it's not about me. My playing days are over. My, my, mine is to get you to believe in yourself because football can do that for you, whether you're given, gifted in it or not. It's not for the gifted. It's for those who are willing. Football players are not all gifted. Football players are spirit. It's like everybody ain't got Walter Payton's spirit, but they don't all have his gift. Some people have his spirit, but they don't have his gift. Some people have his gift, but they don't have his spirit. Right? They don't go together. But right. if you have the spirit, it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to have the gift. Your spirit makes you make, maximize whatever gifts you have. So it's like, let's take that effort that it takes to be a good football player because football is going to find you, right? It's going to find your position for you and put you there, and you're going to stay there, and that's how it's going to happen. But at the same time, once it's all over, all the benefits it can give you, you don't have a creak in the a bulging disc in the base of your neck. You don't have slurred speech because you were taught to tackle a certain way or block a certain way. There's a resistance to learning, to change, to make the sport really benefit you rather than to take away from you, to, you know, to deduct from you. You don't want to put the sport to do that to you. You want it to add to you, to build you, right, to develop you. That's what the sport did for me. And so that's why I'm so driven by it, uh, not by the sport, but I want to see the sport but not the sport. It's not the sport. It's the people. I want the people to care more about the people the way they'll care to be better at what they do. And it's really the coaches in that respect. But they have to be forced to do it because the culture, the, the complex, is not interested in protecting the li- what causes their liability. They want to protect the shield. They want to protect the school district. They want to protect their their resource. They want to protect their, 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 their uh, property, the buildings, the land. And, and, I, and I really think, protect... huh? what I was going to say was I really think we're at a crossroads right now, right? Because I've had these conversations with coaches, and they think I'm naive. They think I'm, I'm, I'm a dreamer. Uh, you know, it's, it's about the record and all that stuff, right? And, and I never said winning's not important. All I'm saying is, is, in my view, is look at the long game. That's what Amos Alonzo Stagg did. He, and right. and we, we're at a crossroads in the sense that I think a lot of the, the craziness that we're experiencing right now as a country is largely based on not looking at the long game, the larger meanings the bigger meaning we're we're looking at what's in it for me right now. Um, uh, I one time had a conversation with a coach and, uh, about this kind of stuff. And he says, dude, it ain't in my contract. Wow. And I was like, okay, 
<laughs> I hope I don't ever see you at church. <laughs> church That's ain't similar to me, track. man. When I went on these doggone speaking tours, and I'd be speaking at these panels with these, these doctors, and I'm like, man, you guys really don't listen to anything I can't tell you. you know. And the lady said, Bobby, you know, I'm going to tell you why. You know, there's no, there's no money in the cure. It's money in the research. So we're not really interested in the cure. So, that, so that's why I stopped going and speaking in the panels. Maybe I could have, should have continued speaking, but I was just tired of it, man, because I was tired of talking. So you know, what I did was I just said I'm going to stop being Chicken Lou, and I'm just going to come up with a, with a system that people can decide for themselves. So you create what I call a player-centered philosophy. And what is a player-centered philosophy? It just simply means I've done my due diligence to minimize what is most dangerous about this particular activity, and that's football, and that's tackling and other things too. For example, well, the, the, good, the good news is, bro, is that you have put together a sweet little deal that's brand new at your college. Talk about that. You've been, you've been, you've been actually running practices, actually courses, classes, college credit, <laughs> uh, a job. I mean, you're doing all kinds of stuff that's brand new because of institutions caring. And so once you get into that a little bit. Well, you know, I, I found some things out. It's not accredited yet because it's brand new. See, I'll show you how things work. At the junior college, the community college, it's for the advancement of the community in the educational, not to get a degree, but to get a certificate in the community to expand your ability to make more money in the community. Normally, something comes to, it's already accredited, it's already, you know, been in another school system like Cal State or UC system, and it comes to the JC and they adapt it, and then it has a certain amount of credits assigned to it because it exists already in another governing body at another institution of higher learning that have decreed this is education is worth this. Well, never, or very rarely, or I never heard of it, because I, that's not what I do, but normally nobody comes to them with a curriculum, their own curriculum, and they look at it and they go, wow, the, okay, they're the trustees. Okay, the board of trustees has determined that my course, my helmet-free tackle, meets all the merits, more than, but it meets the merits to be a course that teaches the first ever course to exist in the institution of higher learning anywhere in the world to teach concussion preventive tackling technique and the system of it. And so it's the first place to ever do it. So I'll start this fall. I'm on a schedule in the kinesiology department, kinesiology 600, uh, where I'll have lab uh, twice a week, and I'll have uh, I'll have lecture uh, uh, twice a week. And I have two-hour labs and I have one-hour lectures. And, uh, and so coaches will be gone in the fall, so the certification for coaches to, me to meet the state, new state law, which is called uh, California Assembly Bill 1 Youth Football Act, which mandates all coaches be certified in a nationally known tackling technique system that takes the head 
out of the collision. So in the law itself, it says they must teach safe tackling, shoulder tackling, and must be a nasty note. And then further down in the law, it says nothing in this article can prevent a football team or league or association from adapting a higher standard of safety than it's, than it's already in this article. So what does that say about the, sink, the shoulder tackle at the top, and then they make a statement at the bottom? Does that say that there's a higher standard than the one that was just mentioned? That's what it's saying, isn't it? Right. So I, my heart dropped when I saw a shoulder tackle, because that's what they teach. So what, do I, what am I teaching? The different rip. But what is it really? That's a name, because that's what I call things. My daughter first asked me, because she keeps something, and it had all this hair on it. I thought it was a house shoe until it moved, and it was a little dog, a shih tzu. And I said, let's call it Fluffy, because that's what she was. She was Fluffy. And so I, call, I wanted to call her Fluffy. Well, they changed her name to Susie, and we changed her name to Susie. But I call things it's so different rip. But really what it is, it's the double shoulder tackle. So when you say shoulder tackle, well, that's what they've been teaching. That's what Jim Thorpe was doing when he tackled the first tackle dummy in 1928. That's what the first 19, you know, since the 1800s, they tackled when they made the ear pad to protect the cauliflower ear. That's the same tackling technique they were doing when they put the little padding on top of the head to stop the cracked skull. And, and this, now they made the hard shell helmet and still deny that there's brain damage. Well, we now have brain imaging. So what are you going to say now? So why do you continue to teach it? So my thing is, why concern ourselves with the industry? Why not just concern ourselves with our own individual house, our own children, our own neighborhood, our own school? Every high school can do their own, take a lap, have their own equipment, get year-round certification, get an annual certification of their coaches, have tackling camps at their own school, feed their feeder group. They're coming in and get trained by a certified coach that's teaching a safe tackling technique that lowers the liability to the school district. That's who I'm appealing to. I'm not appealing. And so with that comes smarter coaches. Because of those that are resisting, I want them to leave. I, I want to open up 12,000 first to fifth year coaches opportunity to be trained in my system. And then they will be certified to be employed by school districts because everybody's staff is going to need somebody. Right now they're saying everybody has to have knowledge. Like, I'm going to ask you a question. How many coaches have to, are, are mandated, are required to know what causes a concussion and how to prevent it? Zero. Exactly. That's ridiculous. So guess what? So we talked about the five stones. Didn't we talk about David and the five stones last time we talked? And I said, why, you know, the difference between insurance and assurance. And I asked, I don't know if I asked you, I said, why did David choose five smooth stones when he went to go meet Goliath? To, know, to, to, to illustrate the difference between assurance and insurance. And, and did I ask you that? No, I didn't, I, you, didn't, you didn't go there. So why do you think, how many, do you know the story of David and Goliath? 
Yeah, but I don't remember the stone part of it. How many stones did he use? He ch- I'm gonna tell you just for you know just for the well, one. He chose five. How many did he use? One. Uh, okay. Why one? did he get five? Why did he Why get did- five? Uh, I have no idea. I can't remember. Well, wait a minute. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say insurance versus assurance. So you got to find the two. Now you got to give me the idea. Why? What is five for? Is it insurance or is it assurance? Casey misses. Okay, insurance if he misses. So insurance is in case something bad happened, right? Right. And assurance means something great gonna happen, right? Right. Because something bad is not going to happen. That's what assurance is. Assurance means something bad is not going to happen. And that's a great thing, right? Right. So assurance is a great thing is going to happen. Insurance is for when a bad thing is going to happen. So why did he pick five smooth stones? It wasn't because he was going to miss. It wasn't insurance. It was assurance. Goliath had four brothers. Oh. That's the difference between assurance and insurance. So on the back of everybody's helmet, it says you play at your own risk. Well, there's not enough information for a 9, 10, 12, 15, 18-year-old kid to play at their own risk because they don't know that one of the risks is that their coach is going to be teaching them techniques that are antiquated, dangerous, and have proven in a court of law to be injurious and cause bodily harm and worthy of a lawsuit. These are facts. Okay, how do you lower that? How do you lower the risk of that? You lower the risk by identifying what is most dangerous. Okay, do you know that wrap them up is one of the most dangerous terminologies, which turns into a technique, which pushes the body into a 90-degree angle, head, hips on the same level, exposing the crown and the temple to impact from the teammates and other, uh, the ball carrier and the teammates and this assisting on the block or tackle. And that's why you have these headings, so why they teach it? Why do you allow yourself to teach it? Why, why is everybody so sheepish? See, here's what I did. When I told you I, I did a regression on myself, right. and I wanted to find out why am I the way I am? And I've always been a fighter, and, and I've been a fighter for the right, and why I'm relentless. And what, what is my character and what am I really like? And so I found my, 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 myself. I found who I am. I'm a sheepdog. And I, and, I, and, I, and I say, well, okay, what sheepdog? Well, I'm a Tibetan massive sheepdog. You got to <laughs> see one of them. They're about 200-something pounds. They're bigger than a horse. Why is, okay, what is a sheepdog? Why do sheepdogs hang out with sheep? Because, like, you know, I coach little kids. I coach high school kids. I coach women. I coach, you know, dudes, anybody. Coach coaches. I could be acting. Like you said, I walked away from $800,000 a year. I was making acting. I was like, where the heck is it? But I was making that. I was knocking that. I was working. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a WA, working actor. That's all I care about. I ain't want to be no damn star. I ain't, ain't, I ain't worthy to be a star. I just want to show up, do my job, get paid, keep working. I don't know why they even hire me. I don't know why. I just, I'm lucky. But I just work hard and show up, right? Because it could call me. But I'm a sheepdog because what you say, why do sheep, sheepdogs hang out with sheep? Because they like to fight wolves. 
And so to me, that spirit of that sheepdog and this business of preventing harm to children, children are the ultimate lambs of our world. And they're being devoured. And the people that are making way more money on the devouring of our children can be changed. Six, it doesn't dawn on anybody. It doesn't, this is 2000. Each year, there are more than 448,000 reported football-related injuries to youth under the age of 15 at a cost of totaling more than $6.89 billion in medical legal liability. In 2006, I came across that. That was the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons statistic from 2000. It's gotten much worse. But nobody's flinching. Nobody's. So I say, you know what? And look what, to me, everything is God Almighty. Now I'm, I'm, at a uni, I'm at a junior college. The last two seasons that we were able to play, we had the most plays on defense than any other junior college in America because of our offense. We had one concussion on defense. And it had five on offense. And overnight, I don't know how many thousand plays there were. So we have the stats and all that. But we go back years, but that's just recent. But now, the trustees of that same college have made me a class. And so what I was saying, going back to what I was saying, I'm sorry to take up so much damn time, but now that I can, you can get a statistic, you can get a certificate, you'll basically be me. And you're able to go and teach. Because everywhere I've been, I've been that guy. On every staff I've ever been on, I've all, everybody, I was a tackle coach. Everywhere I went, we always tackled the same way. And every coach, nobody pretty much listened to me. They just stay away. And I'll just run it. And, and so, you know what? I've created a position that never existed before. I'm the concussion preventive person. And, that, and then science caught up. Like you said, it's crazy, man. I can't. I can't even tell you. I couldn't write this story. I couldn't write a script. You know, you met me, and I was in Hollywood. You you saw me when I was I was an extra. I was playing for the LA Express. They needed guys that could scratch and spit and look like real football teams, so we were available because we played in the spring. And that's I'm the same person. But you know what? I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. That's crazy, huh? That's. Uh... An unbelievable story how you got to this. What I what I appreciate is is there's a lot of uh depth to the why. It's not just your process and in, in in actually going out and, and and doing your style of, of tackling. There's philosophy behind it. Um having said that, so where things are going with you, you have the course at uh, at Valley uh, San Bernardino JC, you have uh, you have a course that's going to be coming out on the website. You know, for anybody who's actually interested in just going and taking a peek, uh, look up Bobby Hosea on YouTube, and there's about nine million <laughs> videos of of various quality and various lengths. But there are some that are pretty much a whole system, uh, the whole practice session of of 
two hours of tackle progressions uh, that, that Bob takes you through. And um, it'll give you an idea what his, his stuff is like. Although, you know, it is video. It doesn't do it, uh, a, real ex- a real experience uh, justice. I mean, if you really want to learn, go out there. Uh, I've actually had the, the blessing of participating as a player at my old age. Um, and getting yelled at by, by Bobby, that was a pleasure, i got to tell you. But, um, Bob, is there anything else that, that you'd like to add to, to this before we, uh, we say goodbye? Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you can also go to my website. It's thehoseamethod.com, um, H-O-S-E-A method.com, thehoseamethod.com, and and you'll see the videos and, and get a little more insight on what it is. And this journey that I've been on, and uh, it's been on for a minute, and and I, I look at time, right? And I say, before your time, uh, out of time, no, it's right on time. And that's how I look at my life. And I, I want this to become the standard of care, to take better care. And that's the only question is, can I take better care? Take a look. And maybe you'll find out that you can. And if you find out that you can't, there's nothing lost, right? Uh, you did your due diligence to see if you could get better at it. And that's all that matters. Just take care of our kids. Because trust me, uh, like right now, I'm taking care of my 84-year-old mother. I'm proud I'm here and able to do that. So there's yeah. going to come a time when you live long enough, you're going to need your young people to look after you. And so let's take care of their brains. And so when the time comes, they'll have it together, dude. Yeah, basically, that's what it's all about. Anyway, it's kind of selfish, right? But yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's our <laughs> mandate. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing as adults is to exactly be getting the next generation ready. Um, and it's time that our generation, uh, as well as the you know, I say our generation, but there's a generation that's below us that are also adults, um, and then another one, I think. They, everybody needs to step up and, and get out of me, me, me and realize that uh, we all need to, uh, to get, be able to give back. And right. the only way to do that is by getting better ourselves. If, if That's right. we want to say, oh, I want to help everybody, well, you can't help everybody if you ain't helped yourself first. So get Amen. better, get coached up by Bobby. I promise you, you'll be a better football coach. I promise you. And with that, Bobby Hosea, I really appreciate your time, as always, and I look forward to speaking with you very soon. You too, Tim. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You're making a difference, brother. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Real soon. Bye-bye.